Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I have always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have world-renowned spiritual teacher, Swami Mukananda. And we have a conversation today about the power of thought and manifesting the reality that you would like in your life. This one is a profound one, guys. So enjoy and let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Swami Mukananda. How are you doing, Swami? Um, namaste, Alex. Uh, delighted to join you today and uh, looking forward how did you find me? I found you on the, the thing called YouTube. Uh, uh. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been admiring your work from a distance for a while, and uh, I I reached out to you because I thought that your voice and your energy and what you're trying to do for the world uh, would help my audience, and hopefully in my small way extend what you're doing uh, to possibly a different audience than you usually get. So I hope I can be of service. Yeah, no, but actually you made a mistake. Your, your show is called Next Level Show, and today you've called the Old Level Soul out here. <laughs> Hopefully the Old Level Soul will help us new level souls to get up. <laughs> so, uh, Swami, my first question to you is, how would you define spirituality in today's modern world? I define spirituality as having four aspects to it. Mm-hmm. First is self-awareness skills, where we understand who we are, what my values are, and what my higher goal is. That's the first dimension of spirituality. And the second dimension is universal awareness skills, where I understand my interconnected with all interconnectedness with all of creation and the laws of the universe that apply to me and to others and my relevance to all of creation. And the third dimension of spirituality is self-mastery skills. Your ability to keep your lower self intact and govern your life with your higher self. And the fourth dimension is professional mastery skills, where whatever your talents, your education, or your qualifications, you can utilize them to make a difference in this world, to serve others with. So spirituality is an inner journey and it is at the essence of all the religious traditions of the world. Let me ask you, because this is a question I get asked quite often. <clears throat> is there a reason why we must walk the spiritual journey alone? Meaning, at the end of the day, we have to discover our own path and not be with anyone else. So, you know, Because you hear these stories of the yogis sitting in a cave for 40 years by themselves or these great masters who walk the path, they walk them very oftenly by themselves, and then they bring in groups of people to help and teach. Just curious. That's right. External things can help us in this journey. But truly, spirituality is a journey within ourselves. So it is utilizing our inner resources, which is the mind and the intellect, to go within to ornament our personality with virtues, 
to contemplate deeply on the meaning of things and to focus on elevating the state of our mind. So to achieve all these, various spiritualists, yogis, sages, they went into isolation so that the humdrum of the external world could be blocked out and they could achieve the intensity that would bring about success in the spiritual path. Interesting. Okay. Well, then let me ask you this. How can one balance material success with spiritual success? It seems to be counterintuitive in many ways. Material success, if it is devoid of spiritual success, it can be a formula for disaster because we get so much and it does not fulfill the quest within. The kind of happiness that our soul is seeking is never satiated by material success. No matter how much fame one may get, how much wealth one may get. Just yesterday, I was speaking to a billionaire and he was telling me, Pranichi, I got it all and I found no happiness. And that is what took me on the spiritual path. So spirituality puts it all in perspective. That ultimately, what do I truly want? And is this success that I'm looking for, what is, what is the meaning and purpose of it in my life? Spirituality enables us to handle the vicissitude. Today, one may get a lot of success and acclaim. The very next day, one may overcome, may encounter adversities and maybe even defeat. To be able to take all these in the stride and just carry on. So you may notice of spiritual personalities that they are able to retain their inspiration at the same level, irrespective of circumstances. Mm. If you take a look at the lives of the great sages in history, they did not have it easy. They had their share of challenges and difficulties. And yet, they had the mind control to remain completely inspired and to not allow their happiness to be affected. What allowed it was their ability to disconnect from the outside, which means that no matter what the circumstances, my mind is in my hands and I can harbor in it the thoughts that I choose. So those who mastered this ability needed no keys from the outside. So spiritual success is the one that really counts in life. Because material success will all be left behind one day. Spiritual success is an eternal one. However, to tie both these together, once we start succeeding to some extent spiritually, then we want to share those successes with others. And then we don't find satisfaction merely in our own journey. We want to use whatever we have discovered to make a difference in others' lives. And that is where the material talents, abilities, position, or eminence can all be utilized in, in an attitude of service. Beautiful answer, my friend. That's a beautiful answer. I hope that does get into somebody's uh, mind, uh, if you will. It plants that seed, if you will. Um, now, are there some practical methods or techniques you can render, recommend for individuals beginning their spiritual journey? One of the ways to practice spirituality in the beginning is what you just mentioned, which is 
go into isolation. It doesn't require withdrawing into a cave or residing in the mountains. But let's say for you build some time in your daily routine where you shut off the entire world and then use it to go into yourself. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So the first thing to do is to develop self-awareness. Watch your thoughts. What is it that troubles me? Bring perspective to your life. Where am I today? I've been running, running, running. And where do I really wish to go? So self-awareness enables us to realize our shortcomings and uh, the gap between where we are and where we wish to be. The second, uh, I would suggest, is gather wisdom. In the, the earlier days, people would refer to sacred books, to holy text, to gather wisdom. If they had spiritual mentors, they would reach out to them. Nowadays, we have a guru called YouTube, so, <laughs> but feed your intellect with good wisdom. And a third tool, uh, which of course is so popular, is a tool called meditation, which uh, trains, helps us train our mind, helps us develop self-discipline, helps us practice to keep the higher self in charge. Beyond all these three is a tool which I consider to be more powerful. And that is, in my tradition, we call it Chintan. Chintan is contemplation. If you take one piece of wisdom and contemplate deeply over it, it just creates a transformation. Now, for example, we all know anger is a bad thing. But when the provocation comes, we find we ourselves succumbing to it. And then later on, there's a threat. Why did I say that? He is 20 years my elder. Why didn't I have more tolerance? In the moment, we forgot the knowledge. And the moment knowledge was forgotten, it became useless. So to benefit from wisdom, we need to keep it in our conscious awareness always. In fact, there's a verse in Sanskrit which says, Tattva vismaranat bhekivat. The moment a human being forgets the distinction between right and wrong, the human falls to the level of an animal. The mistakes are made. Yes. So constant awareness of that knowledge requires practice. All that the talents and abilities we develop physically was a consequence of physical practice. But mental practice is a hundred x more beneficial. And most people are not tapping into mental practice. Mental practice is to bring a thought to yourself again and again and again until the neural networks get developed and becomes natural and automatic to you. Beautiful. Now, what advice would you give to those struggling with self-doubt or with lack of purpose in their life? I would keep these two things separate. Self-doubt. Should I address that one first? Mm -hmm. Self-doubt is coming because of lack of self-knowledge. Most people don't have the self-knowledge. They are identifying the self with the body. And the body is a bag of chemicals. And with all the benefits of modern science, the danger is of reductionist thinking, which science has failed to avoid. 
And that is why the scientific temper makes us think I'm this set of organs in a bag of flesh, blood and bones called the body. That's all I am. So the consequence of thinking like that is that I am so tiny, I'm limited, I've got all these infirmities and there is self-doubt. And if we could understand our spiritual nature, that is the soul nature, then we would discover that, oh my God, I have got this huge powerhouse within me that is waiting to be tapped into. So awareness, it was, I have heard this humorous story of a Native American in Oklahoma mm -hmm. who won a Rolls Royce and he brought it to his village. And when he would drive in the village, he was a very friendly soul. So he would turn to the left and speak to people on the main road and then turn to the right and sometimes turn all the way around. And yet his car never had an accident. And the reason for this was that he never actually turned the ignition key. He had two horses pulling his Rolls Royce. It had a 98 horsepower engine inside, but he was unaware of it. So lack of awareness is leading to self-doubt. And then, then the other aspect of it with lack of purpose in life. Lack of purpose, Alec, is, I think, very important. Real happiness in life comes from discovering a higher purpose beyond ourselves and aligning with it. It is the happiness that needs nothing from the outside. The people are chasing pleasures in material objects. They get the, the objects that gratify their senses, but the thirst continues. It is like a fire that is burning and you're seeking to quench it by putting fuel onto it. In Sanskrit, we have a quote, na jatu kamaha kamana mukabhoge na shamyati. These desires will never be fulfilled by their satiation. They will only get further inflamed. So this is the pursuit of happiness in material thing. Whereas happiness lies within us. And one key to discovering it is finding that higher purpose in your life. In, in uh, the Western culture, Martin Luther King Jr. put it so well when he said, if you have not found the purpose you are willing to die for, your life is not worth living. Mm. So to somebody who's looking for purpose in life, I would say cultivate faith in the benevolence of the universe. This universe is so astonishing from the tiniest Higgs boson to the biggest galaxy. And every there's a miracle in every atom of creation. So let's have faith that I have come into being as a, a aspect of creation for a higher purpose. To discover my purpose, let me keep on enhancing my knowledge. Let me ponder over the bigger questions in life. Who am I? What is, why is all this in this world? And it's possible that quest for knowledge will lead us to the higher purpose. Beautiful, my friend. Now, I wanted to kind of dive into your book, The Power of Thoughts, uh, because it is something right. that um, 
it is something that really touches me because as I've discovered in my path, the power of thoughts are very, very powerful. So from your from your point of view, can you explain the concept of the power of thoughts from a spiritual perspective and how it influences our lives? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The external circumstances, only a small aspect of them are under our control. What we have complete control over is our thoughts. Now, this is an internally generated resource. We are mass producing 60,000 of them every day. The only problem is that quality is appalling and the quantity is uncontrolled. <laughs> now, these thoughts are making us unhappy. So many people have problem of compulsive negative thinking where they have these thoughts that come uninvited, that rob them of their happiness, that are unproductive, and they realize that they can't, they are kind of victims to these negative thoughts. So in the book, I have started off by explaining that, look, thoughts are directly linked to your happiness. If you want to be a happier person, just change your thoughts. That's all that's needed. Now, for example, one person came back home, a newly married husband, and told his wife, today is the best day in my life. And wife said, what happened? He said, I had I, a road accident and my BMW has got smashed. He said, what? I knew how attached you were to your BMW. It's got smashed and you say it's the best day in your life. He said, you know, I am alive. I only had a little scratch on my small finger. So what of the BMW, it'll get replaced. Now, it's a question of the thoughts that he kept in his mind. He could have as well kept negative thoughts and said, this is the worst day. But merely by choosing the right thoughts, he's a happy person. Likewise, Thoughts determine our effectivity at work and they also impact the environment. We don't realize it. Now, again, with all respects to the scientific perspective, there's a huge debate going on on the nature of thoughts itself. What are thoughts? And most scientists have reached the conclusion that they are merely electrochemical impulses in the neurons of our brain. So they have reduced them to electrical chemical energy. However, spiritualists hold a different view. And they say that thoughts are subtle forms of energy. The Actions going on in our brain are only reflective of the thought. But to conclude that thoughts are merely this, is like hearing the roar of a lion and saying that a lion is the roar. The lion is the source of the roar. So there are subtler forms of energy. And thought energy is, is material energy, but subtly when we cross once. If we can tap into it, we just get access to a completely uh, wonderful dimension of our life. So it starts off by realizing that I am not my thought. Now, the problem is that this 
so many people are so enmeshed in their thoughts that when the thoughts are negative, they think, I am negative. When the thoughts are depressed, they think, I am in a bad mood. Whereas, if they could create a gap, they would see that, oh, my mind is playing mischief. My mind is creating negative thoughts. I will choose not to associate with that. Uh, this is, is called mindfulness in the Western tradition. You know, where you start watching your thought. And it's called witness consciousness in my tradition, where you become a witness to your thoughts and they immediately they lose their hold, the venom. And then you can decide, okay, I'll now do intentional thinking. I will not let thinking happen to me. I will make thinking happen. Then we open up that potential. Yes, go ahead. So, Mike, so that's all beautiful. I love everything you've said. Um, can you explain, though, the concept of negative bias? Because in many ways, aren't we as human beings programmed from generational to think negatively as a survival mechanism, why we always look at the negative. There could be a thousand negatives or a thousand positives, but if you get a thousand great reviews, but the negative review is the one you look at, it's it's kind of pre-built in us unless you do many of the things that you're saying, which is become conscious of it and aware of it. Is that fair to say? Very correct, uh, Alex. Uh, negativity bias is the vulnerability of all of us in the human body. Because it's the, the way we have been physiologically programmed. And like you said, uh, that it is coming from generations. Now take a look at a fish in the sea. It has got positive stimuli, food that it could eat. And it's got negative stimulus, the big fish coming to eat it. If it misses the negatives, life is over. Pretty much. If it misses, <laughs> if it misses the positive, there will be many more chances. So nature programmed it to have this negativity bias. You know, so like, for example, uh, I have noticed this of myself as well when I take a walk and all of a sudden I cross a house where a dog Barks unexpectedly. And I see this physiological response arising, which I have to put it down. A response of fear, you know, but that is the, the, the way we've been hardwired, that you have to suppress it. So the negativity bias comes naturally to us. But to work against it is the freedom that we possess. As human beings, we have our feet on the earth and the head in the heavens. We are the only creatures who are able to hold our spine erect. And so we have this lower instinct and we have the higher aspirations that tell us, you know, you need to be better. So that freedom of thought needs to be exercised. Initially, it may be a little difficult as the mind wants to keep its grip. But once we start denying the mind, we realize that all we need to do is a little positive reframing. The glass may be half empty, but it's also half full. And when we do it again and again and again, then that neural pathway gets etched, where from a negative thinker, we become a positive thinker. So in every situation, the positivity then comes as second nature. Now, you mentioned neuropath neuropathways. Can you talk a little bit about neuroplasticity, which I think is really relevant to what you're talking about? Neural plasticity is a facility we have where we can retrain our brain. So the brain is endowed with this ability that when a certain action is repeated or certain pattern of thoughts are repeated, the neurons are fired up to facilitate that thought or that action 
and repeating of the pattern trains the brain to create networks or circuits that make that work easier in future. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So if, for example, I kept on thinking what will happen in the future, what will happen in the future, I became a compulsive warrior. Now somebody comes and says, I am a compulsive warrior. Swamiji, what do I do? I say, you know, that's because you practiced it so much. So the practice locked in those circuits, but neuroplasticity gives us the ability that you look, there is infinite potential. If we are willing to have to put in the right practice, we have the freedom to change our circuitry completely. I was reading about William James. He was the father of American philosophy. And he struggled with depression for a major portion of his life. And that put him in touch with his ability to change things. And one of his strongest principles he enunciated was that no matter what the condition, we have the freedom to choose our thoughts, and to utilize that freedom is very important. Now, how does the, the process, how does the law of attraction or manifestation relate to the power of thought? Because this is a, those are two words that are thrown around, those the concepts of the law of attraction and manifestation. What, how does that relate to the power of thought and creating our own reality? The universe is designed to bring the soul to the next level <laughs> that next level so no pun intended <laughs> so everything in the universe is encouraging the soul to move ahead and our growth is directly correlated to the nature of our thoughts for which means that i am where my thoughts are. If my thoughts are dismal and abject, that means spiritually I'm still bogged down. And if my thoughts have become noble and sublime and selfless, that means I've achieved a measure of success. So our thoughts, elevation of our thoughts is reflective of the elevation of our soul. And the whole universe is conniving for it. So when in our thoughts we start harboring positive aspirations that are in accordance with what the universe wants, our own unfoldment, etc., the universe responds by creating conditions, providing opportunities where we can find fulfillment for our aspirations for the service, the, the work that we seek to do, or for opportunities of growth. So these things come about, and the unlocking happens when we create those aspiring thoughts. And then the universe responds. But law of attraction becomes misunderstood when we say, okay, I just thought I should have a car, I should have a car, and the universe responded with a car. <laughs> the universe could as well respond with a kick. <laughs> Why are you asking these desires? <laughs> so then can you explain then what the law of attraction truly is and what is the misunderstanding of it? Law of attraction needs to be understood in its uh, position with respect to the purpose of whole of creation. So when we have that perspective that this is a benevolent universe, 
And if I wish to go to the next level, the universe will definitely respond with opportunities. So let me hold the flame of aspiration strongly within myself. Now, the misunderstanding is that I use this law to attract worldly things to myself. Initially, it is possible the universe may respond. There is a thing called beginner's luck, where you know the universe says, okay, you are trying a little bit of mind management. Let me encourage you on the path by giving you a lollipop so that you practice it further. And then the same practice of law of attraction, you'll reach a dead end and you realize there's more to it. I need to tweak my sense of purpose and, and, and look at things from a bigger perspective. And then the journey will become more fulfilling. So those questions are then left to the universe. Which desires it will fulfill as per the law of attraction and which it will not. Well, let me ask you this with the power of thought. Do we have the ability to control our own reality based on our thoughts? If we believe that the reality that we're in is the Dharma, is the the great illusion, uh, as the Aborigines call it, the, the dream, that we are constantly almost uh, being able to manipulate our own reality based on the power of our own thoughts. There is uh, an objective reality and there is a subjective reality. Mm -hmm. The objective reality is the world as it is. So if there is a flower, let's say, in my hand, that it is a flower, I cannot transform it into a butterfly merely by thinking. Correct. But I can paint my subjective reality. I can choose to see it as an obnoxious object. I can choose to see it as the king of flowers. I can choose to see it as a dimension of the divine. So as we progress on the spiritual path, our subjective reality just keeps on glowing. It's like it goes to higher and higher levels. And the realized fears are those who actually see the divine everywhere. So that is where the journey would take us, where our subjective reality would say, the whole world is one with the divine. Well, maybe I would rephrase it. Do, do our thoughts bring us what we think about? So if we think of negative, negative, <clears throat> negative, negative things are attracted to us. If we think positive, 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 positive things are attracted to us. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. We are, when we are, let's say, when I'm harboring sinful thought, that attracts a bad destiny to me. Now, people may say this person became a victim of circumstances. But actually, he or she attracted those circumstances because of the sinful thought. That the na nature gave a rope to hang ourselves because of the thoughts that we had. Mm. So it is true that our by thoughts we do attract circumstances to ourselves, not on a one-to-one -one correspondence, because that's not the purpose of creation but in a manner that would be instructive to us. Sometimes creation wants us to, allows us to make mistakes so that we learn. So then what part does karma play in that? Because if karmic situations are brought into our lives for our, our lessons or are part of our quote unquote soul plan, then how do our power of a thought interact with that we're getting deeper now we're getting a little bit more complicated okay <laughs> <laughs> yes uh karma is the way we used the 
our our freedom to think and to act in the past. Mm-hmm. So karma was not created from for us out of nothing. Right. It is the way we used our free will in the past. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And we are responsible for it. If, if I got myself into a hole, I am responsible for getting out of the hole and then moving ahead. So that doesn't interact with the thought, the power of thought, because if something negative comes to us karmically and we're thinking positive thoughts, those are two separate things, correct? Right. So if you want to go into uh, greater detail out here, Alex, uh, let me take you a little deeper out here. Karma has got three parts to it. So every soul has got three karmas attached. Uh, the technical terms, and I'll give their explanations, is Sanchit Karma, Prarabdha Karma, and Kriyaman Karma. So what is Sanchit Karma? It is the stockpile of our karmas of endless lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Everything we did, you can say, I don't remember, but creation says, you did it. You are, are responsible for it. It is there in your account. And every time we are sent into the world, one aspect of the Sanchit Karma is taken out and given to us. Look, this portion of your doings you have to bear with in this life. So that becomes our destiny, our Prarabdharma. That is fixed. You cannot change it. That is what determined which part of the world we'll be born in, who our parents will be, etc., etc. But at every moment, we have a free will. And actions that we perform with our free will are called Kriyaman Karma. So what we get in life is a mix of our, our destiny and our free will actions. It's like you were dealt a hand of cards. Now you have to play with that hand. But how you play is all up to you. Uh, and there was three. What was the third? So the th- see, the first was your stockpile of endless lifetimes. Yes. Right? And then what you got for it, out of it in this life, that became your destiny. That is the second one. Okay, got it. Yeah. And the third one is your, and then what's the third one? Free will. The third one is with your free will, whatever you're doing. I've never heard it explained like that. That astrally is good. So then the power of your thoughts kind of are the free will okay. aspect of it is the power of the free that, will. See, see by, by your destiny, you may be a compulsive pessimist or hardcore optimist. A hardcore optimist by free will could mess it all up in the present by repeatedly choosing to bring negative thoughts. Yeah. Mm. So we could, whatever we have come with in this world, we could build on it or we could bring ourselves down. That's the choice that we make with our thoughts. So the the destiny will put those thoughts in our mind, but we can always twist it and then we become negative or positive thinkers. And just to, just to dive in a little deeper into karma, because I find it so fascinating. And it is a concept that is discussed so oftenly and many times uh, incorrectly. When the soul decides to incarnate, this is their bank account of karma that they have to deal with. And and you don't deal with all the the karma in one lifetime. It could be spread apart, depending on what that is. Now, you don't have to reincarnate, as I've been told before. If you choose to come down here again, because there is free will, this is what you want to actually clean up in your bank account as a soul for your own evolution. Is that correct? Uh, to some extent. Only thing is, I am not convinced that the choice is in our hand. And I am not convinced that we have the freedom what to choose and what to not to choose. If, if I had the choice, why would I ever come in this world? You know, with all the mess. <laughs> so, this choice is made by the universe. 
that you need to go down. You are not there as yet. You need to work more on your evolutionary journey. And likewise, what we need to work on in this life mm. is also not determined by the soul. It is determined by creation. That these are the lessons, because the soul is in ignorance. The soul is unaware. If the soul had to decide, it may make wrong decisions. I need mm. to have a great destiny in Las Vegas. <laughs> creation <laughs> says no. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll say no. Many people would say that they would want that kind of destiny. <laughs> so how do you utilize the power of thought to have a deeper connection with the divine to enhance our spiritual experience and journey? The connection with the divine is always with the mind. We could be in a holy place. We could be in a house of worship. We could be putting on sacred marks and holy clothes and be no closer to the divine. <laughs> Ultimately, it is the mind and the mind alone which counts. That is why all the great sages, they always said that, look, it's not a matter of what you say with your mouth, the prayers that you are uttering, they are all helpful. But what really counts is the mind. So the closer our mind connects with the divine, the, the, the closer we find ourselves to the divine. And there are tools and techniques to bring our mind closer. For example, we have various forms of yoga so yoga in the Western world has become understood as a form of physical postures for good health. But truly, that is a superficial understanding. It was the third limb of an eightfold system called Ashtang Yoga. And then there is Jnana Yoga, the Yoga of Knowledge, and there's Karma Yoga, the Yoga of Works, and then there's Bhakti Yoga, the Yoga of Love. But that is the one that I practice, where you use this emotion of love to connect with the divine. Beautiful. Now, can you discuss the concept of, and please forgive me, Sankalpa or the intention setting related to the power of thought? The intention is what spirituality is about. Mm. We may be doing so many things, but the divine peeps inside and says, what is your intention? Are you doing it for material reward? Are you doing it because of the acclaim that you hope you will receive? Are you doing it for self-fulfillment? Or are you doing it for my pleasure? So on the spiritual journey, we have to keep on refining our intention, which initially was all about self-seeking, maybe gratification of the senses, and then maybe security and so on, right? So... The extent to which we can purify our intention, to that extent, we have become spiritual. So it would apply to every activity that we do. Now, we have a, uh, a technique called karma yoga. It's very interesting. Karma yoga means that you do your work, you do your actions, and still remain in union with the divine. So yoga means union with the divine. That union of the individual consciousness with the divine supreme consciousness, that union is yoga. And there are systems of achieving that union. And one of them is karma yoga, which says you do your works, but you stay in union with the divine. And how would that be? It would happen when the intention behind every work, 
becomes one of offering the fruits to the divine. Whatever I'm doing is for the pleasure of the divine. When that intention becomes constant and incessant, then one would be called a karma yogi. Mm. So one to be, to be spiritual, one doesn't have to withdraw into a monastery. The, the sacred book of my tradition, the Bhagavad Gita, it says to carry on with all your works. You may be an administrator, you may be a king, you may be a business person or whatever. You carry on with all your works, but keep on changing the intention until alongside with working, your mind is constantly in remembrance of the divine. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Then the intention would be selfless. Can you discuss the role of affirmations and visualizations in regards to harnessing the power of thought? These are powerful tools. So I I first, let me start off with affirmations. Affirmations is a tool that programs our subconscious. So the thoughts are arising from the mind, which means the mind is like the factory of the thought. Now, if we want to have better thoughts, we want to have a better mind. This mind has got two aspects. One is the conscious aspect, the conscious mind, and the second is the subconscious mind, which is a major portion of it, but of which we are not aware. And most of our attitudes, our habitual patterns are all coming from the subconscious. When we wish to improve our thoughts, we'd like to make the subconscious our friend. And to do that, we use this affirmations, which means with our conscious mind, we keep on repeating a message which goes into the subconscious and thereby programs it. So for example, as a, as a schooler uh, in school, when I had to go before the audience and speak, I used to start experiencing nervousness. And then I would speak to myself, don't get nervous, don't get nervous, mm-hmm. it's all right, everything is fine. And I'd find the mind would get set and I would be able to do it. And now when I studied mind management, I realized what I was doing was, I was using this tool called affirmation. Mm-hmm. But that programs are subconscious. And the second one is visualization. This is even more powerful because a picture is worth thousand words. Mm-hmm. And that is why the pictures would impact our subconscious very deeply. And this, these two tools are very useful in our spiritual journey. That is why spiritual seekers worldwide have used affirmations in the form of prayers, in the form of chants, in the form of mantras, or simply taking holy names, sacred names. But even more is the visualization. And that is why the form of meditation which I teach is called Rup Dhyan Meditation. Rup Dhyan Meditation is a technique where we use the power of visualization to train our mind or to connect with the divine. So we have the five senses. These senses reside in the mind in the subtle form. That is why in your dream, with your eyes closed, you're still seeing and still hearing and still smelling. So the mind contains the five gross senses in the subtle form. And in this technique of visualization meditation, you use the subtle senses to create imagery to program the mind. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Now, the one thing that we all have problems with, and we've talked about it a little bit in this conversation, is negative thoughts and the, the monkey brain, the inner critic. Any techniques or advice that you could give people to silence that, transform that into something that would be helpful on their journey as opposed to something that brings them down? Uh, yes, Alex. Uh, in the book, I have referred to a three-step formula. Mm -hmm. The first is to become aware of these, uh, dilute them. The second is substitution. And the third is sublimation. What is dilution? When you find these negative thoughts coming, you will become aware that these, of these negative thoughts because certain characteristics. First is they come uninvited. You know, somebody said that my mind is just doesn't like to take breaks in the weekend. It goes into overtime. <laughs> the second is that these thoughts are, uh, they rob us of our happiness. They don't do anything good to us. And the third is that they are compulsive, that we don't want them and yet we find they are coming. So when we find that such thoughts are coming, the first step now is to distance yourself from the thought. So realize that I am not the thought. My mind has created this. The mind, it's a monkey mind. It's going to create good thoughts and bad thoughts and everything. So I, I have no obligation to accept every thought which my mind offers, to dilute your, uh, distance yourself from the thought. And the moment we do that, we find that it loses its venom. You know, it's like birds flying in the air. Okay, they're going by. But moment we adopt it, oh, I thought like this. My God, how come I thought this? I'm such a bad guy. And why can't I think better? Now the thought has become stronger and stronger and stronger. So dilution is the first step. And the second is substitution. Challenge the basis of the thought. For example, if it is a thought of fear, or if let's say it's a thought of unhappiness, I have got, don't have it going well in my life. You challenge the basis of it. So why am I thinking like this? I've got this, this, this going well in my life. So then replace the negative thought with a positive one. That, <laughs> so we have to do it per force. And then the third step is sublimation where you make it a repeated process until the neuroplasticity kicks in and it becomes part of the flow of the mind. Just like you have, because you just exert such happiness in the way you speak. The neuroplasticity has been working on you for many years, I see. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, my friend, I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a fulfilled life? Alex, to put it very simply, I consider a fulfilled life as one in which you do good, be good, and feel good. Ultimately, it's all about feeling good. We want to be happy. But the happiness we are seeking is coming when you're doing good, when you have the sense of purpose and you're inverting. So when you're doing the best that you can, and in the process, we realize that doing the best I can is not so much a matter of my external skills. I need to work on myself. I need, I can't be a fake. I need to actually improve myself. So the, the, the urge comes to be good, to be the best version of myself. So when we 
uh, in our life, make it our goal to do the best I can. To do the best, it's not that to do this much, just the best that I can. And then to try and be the best that I can. So then one day if somebody cannot go from a sinner to a saint, if I'm trying for my delta, I'm trying to be the best I can. And that is the way when we feel the best. So that is why the slogan I tell people is do good, be good, and feel good. Beautiful, beautiful. What advice, if you had an opportunity to go back to your younger self as a little boy, what advice would you give him? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Why did you waste so many years? Futile <laughs> pleasures, wasting time. And it took so long to come to this wisdom. <laughs> you are so foolish. But maybe, you know, I don't regret because it was a part of the journey. Of course and it was. You, you, have to, <laughs> you have to make mistakes to know. You have to fall to learn the art for better walking. Fair enough. Uh, how do you define God? How do I define God? God is beyond all definitions. Because his universe is infinite. In my tradition, we have the multiverse theory. I said this is not the only universe. There are infinite universes. And all of them are one-fourth of the aspect of God's creation. Mm-hmm. And then there is... The, so all this universe consisting of 100 billion galaxies with each galaxy having 100 billion stars like this, there are infinite universes, which is one-fourth of God's creation. And then the three-fourths is the spiritual dimension. The, the source of all creation is so infinite that all attempts at giving definitions would be like holding a torch out to the sun. But when people ask me this question, I say, let's keep it simple. God is he who has created this world. Now all fights begin. My God is big, your God is big. It's, all, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it's a she, it's not a he. What are you saying? <laughs> yeah. I, I worship God as a he and a she, as yes. Krishna and Radha, as Ram and Sita, as Shiv and Parvati. He's got both the dimensions. Fair enough. And lastly, my friend, what is the ultimate purpose of life? To develop selfless divine love. Now that you've brought the word God into the conversation, to develop selfless divine love for God, which will lead to the God realization. The moment we become God-realized, we will out of this illusion. We will be illumined by that infinite divine knowledge, divine love, and divine bliss. That contact between the individual consciousness and the infinite consciousness will happen at that stage of God-realizing. And Swami, where can people find out more about you, your amazing work, and where they can pick up this book, The Power of Thought? Uh, Alex, I divide my time. I uh, spend six months in my native country, uh, which is India, and uh, I travel to about 50 cities there. And for the rest of the six months, I travel all over the US and uh, I conduct week long yoga, meditation, spiritual programs, workshops in about 20 cities of the US. In fact, tomorrow itself, I'm starting off my tour and be here for six months. Uh, if anybody's in the U.S., say so you're welcome to meet me in person. I also conduct many weekend retreats for people who want immersive experiences. My headquarters is in Dallas. 
It's a beautiful Radha Krishna temple where we have a week-long family camp in the month of July. And if somebody would like to reach me online, uh, they could visit my website, uh, which is jkyog, jkyog.org, and they'll get more information from there. And my friend, do you have any parting messages for our audience? Parting messages. Well, Alex, my parting message is next level soul. I was so excited to see the topic. I'd like to congratulate you on this uh, endeavor of yours and to all those who follow you on this podcast. Great job. Keep it going. It's a wonderful endeavor. My friend, I appreciate you, Swami, for this conversation and for all the amazing work you do to awaken souls around the world, my friend. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Alex. It was a pleasure uh, meeting you online. I look forward to meeting you someday in person as well. I want to thank Swami Mukananda so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge and wisdom with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 284. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.